Well, and amazingly, nutritionists and nutrition never really seem to talk about nutrients, which completely blows my mind. So, uh, so we're trying to bring nutrients back into nutrition which seems like a stupid thing to have to do for an engineer but uh, that's been my quest this is living your big bold life podcast and i'm your host bet lucas i have five crazy kids a full-time career in a mostly male industry and i've been on a health journey where i've lost over 40 pounds On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello. Welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. And today, I'm actually joined by a small little co-host, our new baby girl. She arrived on Sunday, this past Sunday, November 8th. And I was about to submit this episode, and I realized I hadn't done an introduction for it. So guess what? This episode is extra special because she is here in my arms. And I recorded this episode with Marty back when I was eight months pregnant. So I can't believe she is actually here. And I wanted to say thank you to each one of you for all your kind thoughts and words and wishes. We are doing great. We have yet to pick a name. I know we're horrible. We don't know the gender. Then the baby comes. Then we don't know our name. We're just the worst. Anyways, it's because I think I get so enamored with them that no name ever seems like it could be even good enough for them. So I'm hoping we'll have a name soon or the hospital and the birth certificate people might come banging down my doors. Today's episode, we are joined by Marty Kendall and he's from Brisbane, Australia. And I know you are going to leave today with some new tools for your tool belt. His unique perspective on optimizing the nutrients in your diet is really unlike any of the guests we have had on this show. He really shares how, you know, his wife is a T1 diabetic. He had kind of a past history of obesity, and these challenges really inspired him to have a passion for nutrition. He wanted to obviously help his wife, help himself, and now he's out there helping others. And he's an engineer by day, But he's really started looking at nutrient data in a very unique, nuanced way. And he's received some worldwide attention from both physicians and nutrition experts. I think you could relate to him in a lot of ways. He was once a very dedicated keto and paleo follower. And he really now no longer limits himself to just one eating lifestyle. And that's really what I think you will find so refreshing is that he really believes no matter what your eating lifestyle is, you can optimize the nutrition within that. And that is something that a lot of times we don't hear out there. We hear very extreme perspectives. And I think that's one thing I really want you to key in on today. He also shares a few things that were kind of light bulb moments for me. One was that it's not always about increasing your protein. It can be sometimes just about making sure your protein percentage is higher versus carbs and fats. Another light bulb moment for me was when Marty discusses butter, cream, and MCT oil and how, yes, they don't raise blood sugars in a dramatic way, but 
if fat loss is your goal, you may need to dial those back, not just add excessive amounts to your diet, even if you are keto or uh, low carb. He also adds how fasting can really be a powerful tool in your tool belt combined with these other ideas and strategies he highlights today. So I know you are going to enjoy Marty's episode. It is packed with tons of new and exciting information for your health journey. Now, let's get to Marty. And don't you think my co-host did a pretty good job? See you soon, friends. Here's Marty. Marty, welcome. We are so honored to have you here today. Hey, Bet. Great to be here. You guys, I was honored to interview a friend of Marty's, and he was saying that I just had to interview <laughs> Marty Kendall. And I, funny story, I reached out to Marty and I said, oh, we've, we've got to connect. We've got to interview out. And I sent him a time and then he informed me he was in Australia. <laughs> I wake up early, but, you know, 1 a.m. is a bit too early. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised you didn't want to do a 3 a.m. interview. Come on, Marty. Actually, he was almost willing. He was very sweet. But, Marty, let us just dive right in and tell the listeners a little bit about you, your background, and maybe even your health journey. I live in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, I have uh, married to Monica, who's a type 1 diabetic. And I suppose that's how my whole interest in nutrition came along. Personally, I've got, you know, family history. of see everybody in, in the family with uh, diabetes and Parkinson's and obesity. And obesity is something I've struggled with myself. So it's been a, a quest to understand how I could optimize my own diet, but looking at Monica and how her blood sugars went up and down and her how, how she felt from day to day, moment to moment, depended on those blood sugars being stable was really the start of my quest. Initially, when we decided to have kids, it's like, how do we manage this so we avoid the complications? But then maybe five years ago, diving into the food insulin index and understanding what actually raises blood sugars and insulin and all those sorts of things. And that just, you know, snowballed into nutrient density and satiety and, uh, and everything else. Else and more recently, the whole data-driven fasting using blood sugars from a background with diabetes headspace to say, how can we optimize our fasting routine? So yeah, I'm just sold out and pas- passionate about it. I'm one of those people that like numbers and like graphs and that's how I understand my world. And uh, I'm not a doctor, but I just uh, enjoy throwing that those tools at nutrition to understand what moves the needle for different people in different places to achieve their goals from where they are now, which is incredibly different as we were talking about before. Well, it's fascinating to me because I think your approach is extremely refreshing where you're saying, hey, let's just figure out with the data what Mm. works best, Mm. you know, for you and and your journey. So what does your health journey look like, Marty? Uh, Yeah, I suppose maybe eight years ago, I came across Rob Wolf and then Jimmy Moore and the whole keto low-carb scene that really exploded probably five years ago. And I went on that that journey just trying to understand for myself what worked for me. And I was into the bulletproof coffee and unlimited cream and exogenous ketones and MCT oil, trying to get the ketones higher. But, you know, that didn't work for me. I ended up gaining a lot of weight and, and then trying to understand why that was and how I could optimize my health. And then I came across you know, Ted and the, the Keto Gains guys and, and Rob Wolf and circling back to nutrient density. And then more recently, it's been trying to actually 
dial in those things to lose weight and gain some muscle, which I think is, you know, you probably talked with Ted Naiman as being incredibly critical. So that's sort of my, I, I got skinny and then I went, you know, skinny is, uh, you know, I feel weak and now I want to get strong. And so that's been my journey at the moment of just focusing on building muscle and living to to be strong and feel good about myself. So yeah, that, that's sort of my, my journey. And, and from a, a day to day, I just feel so much better when I eat well and, uh, and feel good and my brain functions functions a whole lot better and I can do more of this fun nutrition stuff in my spare time. Yeah, so as I said, I, I sort of dove into the, the food insulin index, which is something that was done in uh, 1997 in University of Sydney, looking at the things that affect the rise in insulin, trying to stabilize Monica's blood sugars and insulin requirements, because when she has to dose with a lot of insulin for a lot of refined carbohydrates, the blood sugars go up and then they plummet again and she's on this roller coaster. So I, I use that data to say, hey, what foods could she eat that would stabilize that roller coaster enable more accurate insulin dosing so you get to the end of that and you go well the best thing she could eat according to that is sort of you know butter cream which may work okay for her to stabilize blood sugars but you know nutrient density is important too because you know those really refined fats don't actually contain a lot of the essential vitamins and minerals so I, I came across some other research and just tried to progress that to look at nutrient density which is really just are you getting enough of the essential vitamins minerals essential fatty acids and and particularly amino acids per calorie so if you you want to lose weight then you need enough nutrients without too much energy really so that, that's where a lot of us are at and i found that if you prioritize those foods that contain more of those harder to find nutrients we tend to be satiated which means you just feel full with without having to over consume if you're eating the the donuts and croissants which are this combination of fat and carbs that drives us into a hyper palatable feeding frenzy that you know any caveman would have loved and gone this is the best food ever and basically our whole food system is engineered to maximize that double dopamine hit from fat and carbs at the same time that drives us to eat a whole lot of energy and uh, you know prepare for a coming winter but winter never comes so that's mm-hmm. been fascinating to quantify those things to be able to reverse engineer our modern food system to say hey what foods will help us to actually control our appetite without having to micromanage every piece of energy and calories because you know it's as you've talked about it's really hard to quantify calories in versus calories out and so many moving parts energy balance always is a thing but uh you know energy is always conserved in a closed system but the the energy in versus energy out is basically impossible to manage accurately so the question is what is it about appetite and satiety that helps us to not overeat Blood sugar is a really amazing measure of your current energy status from moment to moment. You talked about with gin about oxidative priority and basically your, your blood sugar has to be burnt before your fat and you talked about alcohol and ketones sort of sit on top of that and they have to be burnt off first because there's nowhere to store them. But mm-hmm. the next one is really, you know, your blood sugars, you need to deplete your blood sugars to enable you to burn body fat. So by measuring your current blood sugar status, you can say, well, do I need to eat now or 
or kind of wait a little bit longer. And that, that seems really help, really helpful to help people to keep on moving down the track in the long term with their, their intermittent fasting regime to to make sure they're moving forward, not just you know doing extended fast and then refeeding on whatever they can get their hands on, which is what we tend to gravitate to the the energy dense, typically nutrient poor foods that may not lead to the optimal outcome in the long run. It's so helpful because I think that for many of us who did keto, you know, some have been able to kind of continue on that path and and it's worked Mm. for them. Mm. But Some I find, you know, they stall out or as I've talked on other episodes, many of us, including myself, when I was just purely keto, I struggled gravitating towards those low nutrient foods. Like Mm. I really grabbed, I wanted cheese and cream in my car. (laughs) No, like that's where, so I think that that is extremely brilliant to say, hey, I I like this thought process of keto and keeping our Mm. insulin low Mm. and stabilizing our blood sugars. At the same time, maybe there's a little bit of a nuance here that we can pursue. And so how do you define your diet today? Like what do you, what has worked well for you today? I like the term um, nutritionally agnostic. I don't really try to, to name it. I say, you know, your diet doesn't need a name or a belief system. It just, you just need enough nutrients, really. So you just need enough nutrients without excess energy. And yeah, so just try to get enough nutrients from the food you eat without having to, to overeat calories. And that, that's a really fascinating comment you made about, you know, once you believe in fat to satiety and, you know, fat doesn't drive insulin, you, you give yourself mental permission to just keep on eating those you know free foods the butter and the peanut butter Mm -hmm. and the cream and here i am trying to chase elevated ketones and i get higher and higher ketones but i'm getting fatter and fatter so you know i'm trying to reverse engineer that situation i think one thing i've found from being married to a type 1 diabetic i've come to the understanding that the the food insulin index and those sorts of things they were able to measure the insulin response to food for two hours so those you know carbohydrates will raise insulin quickly protein really raises blood sugars and insulin uh, well mainly insulin over you know five eight ten hours but you know fat still has a response and, and insulin lowers you know to enable us to draw down on our stored energy so if, if if we're taking all this energy from these things we believe are free foods then you know we're not going to be lowering insulin across the day to draw down our stored energy so that, that's been i think a, a unique insight that i think a, a lot of people would benefit from to understand you know you're not just trying to manage the the immediate insulin response it, it's finding a way to eat that increases satiety that enables you to lower insulin across the day and lose body fat. I do really appreciate that because in the group that I lead called Motivate, we have a really diverse group. I mean, I have carnivore Mm -hmm. um, eating lifestyles. I have, there's vegans, Mm. there's, you know, there's keto, there's low carb, there's people who cycle all of them. And, and then there's people that really would say, well, I'm none of those things. I'm just an intermittent faster. And I really try to not, you know, label myself as any of those because I don't want to put myself in a box and 
So do you fast at times today or is that something you play with? Yeah, definitely. And and I suppose uh, that that concept of using your blood sugar and just saying, okay, what's my blood sugar at the moment? Is my fuel tank full or or should I wait a little bit? I've found really helpful. And um, we've started the data-driven fasting group and 2,200 people in in a couple of months and run a couple of challenges. And it's really cool to, as you say, it's amazing people – tend to be much more interested in finding out how to not eat initially than actually eating well but once they once they get accustomed to their own hunger and it's like they that they learn to um to make friends with their inner lizard brain, their inner appetite that drives them to eat and, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Once you get to know your hunger and experience your hunger, you, uh, you're you able to make those better choices, like you say, and definitely pairing intermittent fasting with uh, nutrient-dense refeeding. Just make sure you get, you don't, overdo it when you refeed and under all the benefits a lot of people you know we did a survey and and the top issue with fasting a lot of people find is it just keep losing and gaining the same few pounds over and over again and if you do that with uh, you know low satiety low protein low nutrient dense foods you're going to find a way to get that energy back and potentially with a lot less protein because you can't eat really high protein foods in one meal You, you can't eat a lot of protein so you have to space it out a little bit so you know that that's a risk is that over time they may find they're not getting enough protein in that in that window so to prioritize the nutrient dense high satiety foods mean that they can actually make better progress over the long term by finding that 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 balance between the two yeah i've always had better success when i would open my window with either a higher protein item you know like a hard-boiled egg or some form of a protein would really help me. And then I felt like when I was refeeding, I'd eat better within that whole window. Same with, same with if, but if I opened with something that was really carbohydrate heavy and low, you know, with low nutrient density, one, I'd feel sleepy, you know, almost right away. And then two, I struggled then the whole time during that window. Like, you know, I, I, I just, it, it really didn't set me off on the right foot. I even find that, that a little bit of fat to start has, Yep. beneficial. So some olives really worked well for yep. me, or um, instead of non-fat Greek yogurt, I could have like the full fat Greek yogurt and start open yep. with that. And then I seem to be much more successful within that window. And then in my fast the next day, you know, not just, yeah. not just during that time, but it set me on the right foot. And one of the, the things that I have to really remind myself is that protein first is really, I have, mm. because if I don't, I will gravitate almost everywhere else. I really have to say, you know what? What am I? What am I building around? And I really have to to just. And I think some. I don't want to make it a gender thing, but I do feel like my husband naturally gravitates there easier. Like he just is like protein first. It's the main part of my plate. It's what, you know, And whereas like I find I have to really shift my mindset there. And so the last few years, it's really saying, no, I'm not building my plate around this. I'm building, I'm going to really try to prioritize that protein. 
really, as I mentioned before, that that fat carb combination, that the donut, the, you know, everything that's processed in our everything on the shelves in the middle aisles of our supermarkets. Uh, you look at the ingredients, and they're like starch, sugar, vegetable oils with flavors and colorings that's basically the modern formula for things that people love to eat a lot of and that sell really well with a high profit margin and and those things will trigger this binge instinct that makes you want to eat more and more but like you say if you start prioritizing the protein especially earlier in the day when you're for your first meal it's sort of the research we've done of analysis of 500,000 days of my fitness pal data people that that ate more protein earlier in the day they tend to eat less later on they tend to find themselves not uh, you know raiding the fridge at midnight or, or binging with something else after trying to restrict for the day they're just much more like less likely to to find themselves overeating and gorging later on so that, that that's a really important observation yeah, and it's interesting. So we, you know, not everyone a- agrees with doing this, but we do have some in our group who fast all day Monday. And yep. the data just from this little subset, the feedback that they will say over and over, most of them will say, if I eat a high protein meal mm. meals this on Sunday, I am extremely successful on Monday. If my yep. Sunday, if my last meal on Sunday is not very high protein and it's very yeah. carb heavy, I'm kind of white knuckling it all day yeah. Monday. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I realize not everyone is like that, but I would say the majority of people that I talk to they say that that is a huge tip for them to be successful. And it really it really aligns with your mention there on starting the day with protein and how that helps yeah. you stay full and satiated and, and mu- much less likely to overeat later in the mm. day. There's so many benefits of, of the low-carbon keto world in terms of lowering blood sugars and stabilizing blood sugars and getting it to that point where you're not on that blood sugar roller coaster because when you when your blood sugars are dropping, you feel really hungry and you, you gravitate to those energy-dense foods and, and want to eat a whole lot. But I suppose at the other end, what we've seen with the data-driven fasting cohort of analyzing all that data, we got people to track in that in that first three days of baselining before and after meal blood sugar. And we found that people's blood sugars tended to be really stable. Anybody into low-carb keto fasting has already got an incredibly stable blood sugar. But Getting a, a lower blood sugar by, you know, avoiding all carbohydrates and even some people will, uh, you know, walk around with their continuous glucose monitors saying, you know, I'm trying to keep really flat line blood sugars by avoiding carbohydrates and even protein. It tends to lead to a, a lower satiety outcome. So I think people need to find that balance where they get initially, they stabilize their blood sugars. If your blood sugars are, are rising by more than, in, in US terms, 30 milligrams per deciliter, so it goes from, you know, 80 to a, a 110 after you eat, that's generally a, a healthy blood sugar, but getting it even lower by avoiding carbohydrates, which avoiding veggies, avoiding non-starchy veggies is is not going to help you get leaner it's sort of just symptom management rather than managing the cause and at, at that point you know some people end up going well fats are free food because insulin and keto and that's what my my particular group 
told me on, on the internet. Um, so they end up loading, they're filling their fat storage tank, uh, even though they've got amazingly flat blood sugars. So I think that's the next step and, and something that, that Ted and I have learned together is, you know, you need to, once your blood sugars are stable, you need to start dialing back that that fat. And then what's left is the the protein and nutrients that when you eat, you get, you know, adequate protein to, to feel satiated. Just, it's been amazing to see as people just ramp up their protein, especially older ladies that don't eat a lot of protein initially. Once they start eating more protein, we track their, their body composition and their, their body composition, their lean muscle mass improves significantly over a short period of time just by focusing on that high satiety protein and nutrient density, even without going out and doing a whole lot of lifting. So I think that's sort of the system is, you know, dial back your blood sugars, dial back your carbohydrate intake to the point where your blood sugar stabilized, but you don't need to go any further than that. And at that point, it's like you mentioned before, use fat as a lever to bring back your energy requirements so rather than you know the the full fat everything you, you may need to choose some leaner cuts of, of some things until you achieve your fat loss goals and and always make sure you get enough nutrients and enough you know including amino acids which is protein when you do feed to make sure you you build uh you build lean muscle i mean that that, that losing fat is important but having a, a robust body that uh, is going to age well you've got plenty of muscle to use all that energy eat you don't just you know get like a a, a skinny skeleton um where you've got no no lean mass that you know you actually feel good and look good that's just absolutely critically important especially as we get older to to, to age well and not fall over and, and break your hip at, at 70 or 80 and then you're in a whole lot of trouble you need to to age as a robust strong person i really hope listeners key in there it's, it's saying low carb keto can be such a powerful tool to stabilize that blood sugar and and get us there but once it's stable then really kind of challenging you know a little bit of what got you there is saying okay now let's look at how we can up our protein use fat instead of just flooding ourselves with inbound fat saying how can we use fat as a lever and i love that you know you highlight maybe that means at times choosing some some leaner options and then just the importance of muscle. And, you know, we as women tend to be scared of muscle. And really, it's so it's so sad because it's so important. And you mm. can have a lot of muscle and not look like a bodybuilder. You know, you can have a great yeah. body composition and not, you know, look like you're going to go to one of those, you know, fitness competitions. <laughs> so I think that's great advice. And I really, yeah. I really find that that is a very bold perspective, but one that I hope more and more people hear because you do hear people that have instant wonderful results on keto and then they kind of get stuck and yeah. they don't know and, and that's because it stabilizes the blood sugar but then the next step is okay how do we it's not a matter of eating more protein per se but looking at our protein percentage and that's something that i've sort of learned you know if you eat more protein you end up with potentially more fat as well that typically comes with the protein so you just sort of need to dial in your your protein choices and you know, maybe dial back the added refined fats and then maybe you know when you're getting hardcore you maybe you have a, a whole egg with some egg whites rather than all whole eggs and those sorts of things and leaner cuts of protein and you know in australia we eat kangaroo because it's, it's it's you know national on the national emblem but uh, it's also a uh, out of control pest around farms and it's an incredibly lean meat so you can just choose those leaner cuts of meat that are potentially even 
wild game meat to an extent that is is even more nutrient dense because it's eating its natural diet and out in the sun and, and eating real food. So that that uh, is a really important thing to. It's not just more protein, but a, a higher percentage of protein, which comes from dialing back your fat and carbs at the same time. I think that's a huge point. Hey, friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. What else have you gathered through your kind of your optimizing nutrition and your data-driven fasting group? It's been just a fascinating journey to see people, you know, you you publish a blog post and people ask questions and you go back to the data and try to answer more questions. But um, yeah, we're we're running a a masterclass as well. Every 10 weeks, we run a masterclass that helps people dial in their macronutrients and, and then their micronutrients, which is a whole interesting headspace that really trips people out. Um, and, and, you know, you get some people getting these amazing nutrient scores as they really dial it all in, but other people go, oh, I might need a few more passes to, to understand how to dial in micronutrients. But the whole concept of focusing on on getting adequate micronutrients, just everything else, once you actually focus on, on the micros, getting enough potassium, magnesium and selenium and zinc and whatever your current diet is missing it just everything else falls into place so that's what i love to see when people get the you know once you get the micronutrients or the arguments about protein fat and carbs or work themselves out because you know nutrients and protein always go hand in hand generally a, a higher percentage protein tends to align with greater nutrient density overall so yeah that, that, that's a fascinating observation but at the same time with the data-driven fasting i just love seeing people just you know find that happy place to get the energy balance without needing to track and that seems to be a, a really exciting thing rather than necessarily having to do extended fasting that and say, hey, how do I, you know, when does my blood sugar rise the most during the day? For most people, it it rises a lot more at night. So cutting back the, the nighttime meal a little bit and like we talked about, front-loading protein at their first meal in the day tends to find that happy balance. And they can look at their blood sugar meter and say, yeah, okay, I, I don't need to eat. Maybe I need to, I, I can delay, my, I can skip the snack or I can delay that next meal. And, and just by continually what we do is we take the average pre-meal blood blood sugar for the last seven days and if you're above that then it's like mm, maybe i've got enough fuel on board but if i'm below that yeah i need to refuel and my body needs to uh, you know get some more energy now because i'm hungry you sort of validate the hunger and uh, it's time to refeed and but if you if you draw it out too long i think a lot of people find that they they binge when they get really hungry when their blood sugar is really low they tend to just eat uncontrollably at that point so that's sort of what we try to get people to know their their natural true hunger when whether it's you know they're eating out of habit 
or it's breakfast time or because they saw an ad on TV or they're, they're bored or they're watching that favourite Netflix show that also advertises twisties and they, you know, associate that food with that show and, you know, advertising is amazing. So you can sort of disconnect your habitual hunger from to find your true hunger through hunger training and then make sure you continue to make progress over the long term. And, yeah, the, the results there have been really, really, really exciting and thrilled with that. So Marty, what are some of your favorite like top nutrient dense foods? Yeah, um seafood does tend to be more nutrient dense for you know the the the, the leaner cuts of uh, fish, um, mackerel, salmon, cod, shrimp, those sorts of things. Um, pretty much any non-starchy veggie is going to complement that with a whole lot of the harder to find minerals that are a real challenge to find for a lot of people. And then, you know, definitely on the on the end of, you know, beef, red meat is a really good thing just to get that bioavailable protein in a, a, a cheaper manner because the, the seafood is often harder, harder to get and more expensive and not everybody loves loves the taste so they're not going to live on fish for every meal because they can't afford it so yeah that's sort of a, a, a rounded you know seafood red meat meat and as many non-starchy veggies as you can get in some people like the veggies more than others but uh, it tends to be somewhere on that spectrum between extreme of carnivore and extreme of plant-based to find that optimal nutrient density personally i you know eat as much i mentioned before kangaroo is, is really amazing uh, over here that uh, is really a lean nutrient dense cut of meat uh, we basically uh, try to focus on a, a normal, nutrient-dense, whole food diet for our family, and, and the kids seem to be thriving on it. And yeah, so but but it can, it can range. It can be nutrient density can be interpreted in any in any context, whether it's plant-based or or carnivore. You can say, okay, which foods within the selection are going to give me more of the nutrients I'm not getting on my current diet? And that that's that's a really I think an exciting new paradigm of nutrition where it's like okay, you need enough of all all the essential micronutrients to optimize your diet for where you are now. So you can actually assess where you're at now and say which foods and meals and recipes do I need, need to eat more of to get that well-rounded, well-balanced diet at a micronutrient level and amazingly nutritionists and nutrition never really seem to talk about nutrients which completely blows my mind. Right. So uh, yeah, it's insane. So we're trying to bring nutrients back into nutrition which seems like a stupid thing to have to do for an engineer but uh, that's been my quest for the last few years. Okay Marty we talked about the highest nutrient dense foods what are the least nutrient dense foods and things we should watch out for? Anything if you if you look at the package firstly it's in a box secondly it's got a barcode but if you look at the ingredients there's some sort of combination of starch sugar and vegetable oils together they're just the you know since 1908 when we worked out how to extract uh, oils from soybeans and rapeseed and all, all those sorts of things since then over the last hundred years the amount of refined plant-based oils in our diet has just cont continued to get, go up and then since the 1950s 60s when uh, you know the, the agricultural policies changed the carbohydrates have gone up so today our combination our diet is this amazing hyper palatable combination of those you know 
sugars, refined starches and vegetable oils, which are incredibly cheap to produce, but also incredibly nutrient poor. So they add these amazing hyper-coloured flavours and uh, uh, colourings that make it look like you've got nutrients in those foods and it really tricks your body to think, yeah, they, these are a good food because it tastes off the chart and it looks amazing it's this you know amazing blue that i never saw in nature and that must be cool but they actually provide nothing in terms of nutrients it's just empty calories empty energy that uh, is going to send your body into a feeding frenzy basically telling your body that um, it's autumn and you need to prepare for winter and we, we looked at you know cyclically through the, the year the only foods that are really a, f- a combination of fat and carbs really often in- occurring in all Autumn leading up to winter when it enables people to get fat and animals to get fat to survive the winter and then they come out and they've got that sort of spring foods which are the protein sparing modified fast it's it's lean lean um you know meat and lean protein and and new sprouts and non-starchy veggies and then coming into into summer you've got grains but you don't generally have the fat at the same time so on a on a natural annual cycle we have this natural cycle that works really well and uh, helps people to survive the the temperature but uh, you know what what we've got now is just this constant autumnal sort of food system that uh, whether it's by planning or understanding or just good luck that they went hey these foods sell amazingly and everybody wants to buy them or create more of them you know it's that combination of fat and carbohydrates with minimal protein that drives people to to overeat and yeah it's uh, quantifying satiety that's what we've seen as you know really low percentage protein and that fat carb combination is just diabolical in terms of stimulating your appetite to the point you won't be able to control. Have you noticed, Marty, since the keto world has grown, the gluten-free community has grown, become very evident to me that a lot of foods in our grocery stores are trying to still be in a package, still be in a box, but they're, oh, gluten-free <laughs> and oh, they're keto. And I think they're not all bad, I'm sure, but I, I always caution people that if they've gone gluten-free or if they've gone keto, but they're still eating everything out of a package that we really still need to cautious of that right if if your food isn't something that's a vegetable or a seafood or red meat and you're it's always in a package but it's labeled keto or it's labeled low carb still might not be really what you're what we should be yeah i was always a big fan of the you know rob wolf and the and the paleo was definitely paleo movement was definitely an influence in my early thinking on the whole nutrition thing and you know once everybody went paleo and then there were paleo comfort foods and paleo this and that and you know you've got this combination of dates and honey and you know quinoa or whatever that was all officially paleo but they've managed to formulate these hyper palatable food combinations that were still paleo you know but it had become a mainstream um, marketing label yeah you, you definitely get into trouble the marketers love the the things that'll drive you to eat more and that the things you the really simple food that you can cook at home are often the tastiest if you can get high quality ingredients and just cook simply you know the meat fish veg you know it's, it's incredible
incredibly simple to cook. It may take a little bit more time, but you know, every time we go out to eat these days, it's like, oh, that food tasted not as good as what we uh, we ate at home. And geez, look at how much it cost us to eat as a family. And and having that family time where you can eat at home together, I think it's becoming rarer and rarer. But it, it's a really important thing to learn to assemble those simple ingredients. Don't have to. They don't have to take a lot of time to cook and. Um, they don't have to be, you don't have to have a immense taste experience celebration for every meal. You can have a, a simple meal that you grow to enjoy. And you, once you take out those flavors and colorings that are in everything that you, you actually learn to taste what good food tastes like. And if your veggies or your meat tastes awful, then, you know, maybe seek out a local farmer or your, your local, um, you know, food market or, or weekend market where you can actually meet the farmer and, and get those good food. And once you taste high quality eggs and high quality veggies, you go, wow, this is so different. And my, your taste buds light up because it actually contains the nutrients you need. And, and you know, okay, I can, I understand food a whole lot better. And that's been a really fun part of our journey. And, uh, seeing our kids grow up and thrive and, and do really well out of that is, is really rewarding. And yeah, happy we took the journey as a family. I would love your perspective on that, Marty. How do you handle feeding your children? Yeah, definitely been a journey. We've got um, Mikey's 14 and Jazzy's 15 and, and Micah's, uh, you know, as tall as me now and he's playing rugby and uh, and Jazz is uh, a 15-year-old girl and she's conscious of what she eats. But I think, like you say, because we've modelled it, they've seen it, they've experience good food at home when we go out to eat or they have other foods and you know sometimes we'll give them snacks to take to school for their parties and they have those but they know that when they come home um you know the food here is better and it makes them feel better and they don't feel sluggish and they feel better the next day and they look in the mirror and feel really good about themselves and my son is um he's just numbers driven a bit like his dad i think but uh yeah he 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 just for for a few weeks tracked in chronometer and realized all the the you know calories of what he was eating and that, that the calorie density energy density thing and he just all of a sudden understood what dad was raving about and he doesn't you know doesn't need to track anymore he just understands what foods will give him the protein he needs without too much energy and there's just sort of an understanding there and the daughter you know, went through the nutritional optimization masterclass, and here she is every morning making these spinach and tuna breakfasts with a bit of cottage cheese, maybe a bit of mayo for taste. Because those kids need the energy to grow; they they need that energy thrown in, and we'll you know have potato or sweet potato or. or rice occasionally and those sorts of foods that the kids actually need that energy to do all their activity and, and grow and think and you know most other people need to be on the other spectrum where they need to go okay how can I dial back the energy while still getting the nutrients which are giving more satiety so yeah definitely context specific but if, if they taste good food at home and it's modeled you know modeling is a whole lot better than than teaching I found if you scream at people and tell them what they should do you know it, they don't often learn they're just going yeah they'll just keep doing my thing and I'll shut you out but if they experience it enjoy it and and see it in action then it just becomes a default and I think they'll continue to make good choices once they uh, get out of here and once they see the way they they don't really want to go back I think that's great advice so what is your opinion on the role of exercise exercise is interesting it can definitely 
definitely um, energy flux is important. I think if you've got, if you're using more energy, it's easy to find that energy balance according to the research. So if, if you if you're trying to starve yourself to eat very very few calories, as a lot of people do while not doing any movement, you'll you'll get to this point where you get this really minimal lean body mass. You're trying to survive at 800 calories so you can keep on moving down and, and losing weight. You just can't stay there for very long. Your body will rebel and go stuff this i need to survive give me food but if you're actually active and actually turning over a lot of calories you can get a lot more nutrients in the food you eat and that natural balance is a whole lot easier to maintain um and i'm yeah massive fan of building lean muscle mass and doing what you can to to get stronger but um you know the, the challenge there is it's hard to hard to be jacked and lean at the same time without steroids is, is my daily challenge is you know once you do a whole lot of high volume lifting you're um, you're looking for the the peanut butter and the yogurts and all those energy dense yummy foods to replenish the energy mm. so yeah that, that's basically my daily challenge is to go okay i'm going to prioritize the protein and prioritize the nutrient dense foods and then maybe at the end of the day if i if i can't think clearly or i'm just you know ravenous then that's where the energy dense fats and carbs come in at the end of the day and you give yourself you some permission you know i'm a 44 year old engineer with a with a day job and i don't need to look like a fitness model and um you know those fitness models don't stay that way and and i've learned that they get that way by you know depleting all their minerals and all their water and doing a whole lot of other things so they look good for that one day when they have the photo shoot but you've got to accept your body as it is and and manage you know i want to feel good about life and feel good about myself and feel strong and uh, i think that's really important so finding that balance for me uh, you know how do i prioritize the protein and the nutrients while I do still keep an eye on my blood sugars, even though I'm not diabetic. I found that a really fascinating way to make sure I'm not overeating. And if I see my my blood sugars going up again, uh, uh, above my normal average, again, okay, I need to dial back the food and that recovery food after my workout was a bit too much. So that's a really good way of, of for me keeping that balance in check. No, that's fascinating, Marty. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your recipe books? They're just oh, yeah. they're amazing, and there's so <laughs> many. And so tell us. About about these books <laughs> it's insane yeah um i suppose after years of writing theoretical blog posts with numbers and graphs that appealed to ted Naiman and rob wolf <laughs> and i had two two fans i went oh okay this is not gonna start a movement until we show people what it looks like so they can create it in the kitchen so as a family we started logging food that the meals we were doing in chronometer and making a spreadsheet and then my nutrient optimizer partner alex you know analyzed five hundred thousand recipes with his machine learning algorithm and and then we sort of entered those into chronometer which is a, a food tracking app that does micronutrients as well as macronutrients which is really critical we got a spreadsheet of about 1500 recipes and then i worked with saskia lesser who's in new zealand and she just does this amazingly beautiful food photography and she used the nutrient optimizer tool that we've got to say okay i'll take this recipe and then you know what do i need to tweak what do i need to add what do we need to take out to make it even more nutrient dense so we ended up with 500 recipes that are all uh, 150 uh, photogra- photographed by saskia and then we've got the other 350 on the website that also look amazing with nutrient 
breakdown and profile and then we said okay people on a plant-based diet really really need nutrients so let's create a, a plant-based diet book and then a, a maximum nutrient density book and a, and a for ted a, a high protein to energy book for people on you know who have a lot of weight to lose or on a on a protein sparing modified fast who uh, want to be a you know short-term weight loss to be on stage as a bodybuilder and therapeutic keto for people who actually need ketones to feed their brain for alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's and the like and low carb and low carb and fat loss and so we've got 22 recipe books if I could go on and on using the nutritional optimization system we can dial it in to say okay what are the best recipes that suit that particular goal and I think that's really important to say who are you do you have more fat than you want are your blood sugars more elevated than you want yes no then we can actually dial in what you need at for that particular goal and whether you've uh, got autoimmune issues you need to avoid particular foods and egg free and dairy free and yeah so we've um created 22 recipe books which got a bit a bit out of hand but uh it was a whole lot of fun doing it i mean they're beautiful and you're right her photography is gorgeous but it's just so cool that you can say Hey, I mean, really any eating lifestyle, and it doesn't even need to be your lifestyle. It could be where you're just at right now in your life. You have something that could appeal to them. And I, even, even me, who's, you know, I, so I'm eight months pregnant right now and uh, with, uh, with my six. <laughs> you don't want the fat Yes, no, point. no. And I was thinking, what book would be the best pregnancy? <laughs> you know, I was thinking, oh, these are all so fun. So Marty, tell our listeners if they want to connect with you or find more information, what is the best way to do that? Uh, if you Google optimizing nutrition, um, you come up with the website, which has got a whole lot of blog posts that'll explain it. If you wanted to trial, find out what nutrients you're not getting enough of, then we've got nutrient optimizers so you can do a quick survey there and find out you know likely what foods you're not getting enough of and then you can track in chronometer for a couple of days and find out what nutrients you're not getting enough of and what foods and meals will give you that and then we've got the data-driven fasting um, which is the optimizing your meal routine based on your blood sugars which is uh, yeah if you google data-driven fasting that'll come up and um, a lot of your listeners may be interested in that and uh, yeah it's been really thrilling there so thank you so much for letting me rave. Oh, Marty, I just think this is fascinating. And I think the more that we can kind of dive into this, and I think the more we, our health journey will benefit. So I appreciate mm -hmm. your time so much. And I'm glad we were able to connect from yeah. half the world away. And um, <laughs> I wish you all the best. And I hope to talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Beth. It's been fun. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.